Welcome to episode 7 of the Making a Mark Wrestling Podcast. This episode is a very special episode because today we didn't watch a wrestling match. Instead, we watched the recently released Omega Man A Wrestling Love Story documentary by TBS, which documents the story of Kenny Omega and Kota Ibushi, the Golden Lovers, and their 10-year story through wrestling. So, first and foremost, Laura, what did you think? Oh, that was my favorite thing we've watched for the podcast so far. And obviously, it's very different from watching a match. So, usually we watch the matches, right? I just have to try and get the history and the story from whatever the, like, 10 minutes of either a video they show or, like, the commentators talking about. So, uh, I guess I miss... A lot of it and I'm a bit disconnected from it whereas this one it's a documentary it's all about that story and showing like the highs and lows and the important parts of it and stuff and it was really cool to see also as someone who is LGBT uh, I identify as bi so the whole talking about the documentary the representation for the LGBT community and something like wrestling and in a meaningful way not for a comedic way or anything like that or playing on stereotypes was really cool because in my limited um introduction to wrestling I've never seen anything like that the closest thing I think was the flamboyance of the wrestler Velveteen Dream I saw while watching an NXT thing with my boyfriend once and I immediately was rooting for him just because I was like he's funny I like him I don't even care I don't know anything about wrestling but then looking back I'm like well it still was being played up not in a bad way but again it was a bit more airing on that comedic less serious side of the stereotype of gay people being the like very overly flamboyant uh male gay stereotype whereas this was just a real story and emotion and about a relationship between two people rather than tropes like that so yeah i really liked this this was really cool to watch also, it's about New Japan Pro Wrestling, which so far of all the things we've watched is my favorite. My it's Yeah, it's my best. favorite wrestling forum, if that's the right word. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the things I really loved about sort of the Kenny Omega and Ibushi sort of storyline is that although they were gay lovers, it wasn't like a big deal. It wasn't over the top. It wasn't blown up. It wasn't dramatized. You know what I mean? It's just like... Yeah, it wasn't sensationalized. Yeah, it's just they're gay lovers. They just are like. But the, and the, so the other thing you know I like I mean? too is it's not even like they are. It's like that bl- they kept talking about blurred yeah, lines like a lot and had lots of attention. It's like for all we know, they could also just be very close friends who know this is a storyline that is very needed in wrestling and something that'll bring new people to wrestling. You know, and maybe they're not because they've still never out and out said outside yeah. of that so it's like no we actually are like gay and in love it could but what they have admitted is an incredible mutual respect and a really close friendship and they could just be then using that to play this other storyline so i also kind of like that because and i don't feel like it cheapens the storyline at all to say well they're not actually because like again wrestling is a drama it, it's narratives that they're telling with a sports uh, as, like lens, as, so it doesn't have to be real for me to appreciate the representation yeah, as, of. As, as someone said in the documentary, wrestling is unique because it has one foot in reality, one foot in fantasy. Yeah, exactly. You know, like it doesn't have. And I actually think it sort of makes even more impressive, like because the way I I, I think it is is that I th- I agree with you that I think that in real life they're just very very close friends. 
you know, and just yeah. took it as an opportunity to tell a story that they, like you said, felt was needed. But that sort of makes even more incredible that two people who sort of possibly aren't gay themselves could tell such a sort of realistic, grounded, yeah, you know, gay love story rather than a, you know, over-the-top silly one. You know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah, just, exactly. it's incredible. And I mean, like, if he is gay, good at him, because Ibushi's hot. Yes, Ibushi's definitely <laughs> hot. I, I liked what one of the people said, where he said, like, if I was going to build a wrestler from, like, the ground up, it would be Ibushi. Yeah. Just incredibly athletic, jacked as fuck, handsome as fuck. <laughs> yep. But still has, like, a softness in the face. But anyway, we're not here to talk about their <laughs> their appearances. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> shall we start going over your notes? Yes. Uh, first of all, apparently this guy is a big deal, but I've never heard of him. But now I know why. Because the thing the documentary talked about mostly at the end and a bit at the beginning. But it was like the, the side note, other than the Golden Lovers storyline, is that d- like promotions and organizations and wrestlers challenging the dominance of WWE. And I'm like, well, of course, I've never heard of him because as a fringe newbie fan or someone who only knows what wrestling because... She has people in her life that are fans. All I would hear about is see people that are big on WWE. Like, I didn't even know that John Cena was a fucking wrestler until a while ago. So clearly I'm not going to know who this guy is when he's so big in a whole other world I didn't know existed until we started this podcast. So uh just goes to show how much, how how yeah. little I know. <laughs> so so for context, you know um, Okada, who you've seen before? Yeah. You watched him wrestle Shibata. Yeah. Him and Kenny Omega like are the two people that people argue over which one of them is the best wrestler in, in the world. Japan? Oh in the world. No, okay. in the world. Like those two are incredible, but they're they're very sort of different wrestlers. Okada okay. is the sort of dependable workhorse. Like yeah. he can just have an amazing match with anyone anytime. Yeah. Every match he has is insane. Like he doesn't just have, you know, great big but Kenny Omega is sort of like seen as like the best big match wrestler he's the one who will take it to another level you know what I mean like uh, he may not have as many good matches as Okada but when he has the great matches they're you know another level like I feel like it's maybe where he has the advantage over Okada is that's the storytelling because Mm -hmm. he does have just that ability to connect so much with the like audience even the tiny bits of the matches we saw and like I'm I was the most into this of anything we watched and even there's only one moment where like almost every time there's a, the common theme with me it's like okay you know what maybe I, I'm liking this I'm into this I and then something happens that just pushes it past whatever my imaginary line is for like believable acceptable and too much and there was only one moment that came close to that when they were showing bits of the fights and stuff um but it wasn't even it didn't take it to the too much, but it was like the in the back of my mind, I was like, oh, I wish I hadn't done that because that makes it look a little like it cheapens the moment a bit. But the actual moment that was happening was also good. I didn't care. It was when they had their their hug after the reunion when Ibushi so saved him. And I was like, oh, this is so real. And they're like crying and they were actually crying because they've been, you know, yeah. forced to be apart for a while. Now they get to reunite. But then the confetti rained and I was like, oh, really? Oh, in the back of my head, I was like, "No, don't do that. This is a real moment. This is not a wrestling moment. Stop it." But the, the, I, thing, the, the thing is, though, I know you hate like the sort of like beatdowns and stuff like that. But like, 
I don't really have a problem with them because one, they allow for a lot of storytelling. You know, they establish who's the bad guys, you know, who the good guys. And yeah. it allows for moments like this of the good guys teaming up and rescuing each other and stuff like that. Yeah. And also, like, beatdowns and fights after matches, like, do happen in <laughs> real life. Like, like look at um, when... Oh, what's his name? Conor McGregor wrestled, like, had the UFC fight with Khabib. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. After yeah. the fight, Khabib jumped the fence and jumped into the crowd to beat up, you know... The people who came with Connor. Yeah, that you know was I mean? like, crazy. It does happen. It does happen in you know, sort of real sports. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, yeah, very true. But either way, yeah, I just thought it was interesting that he is w- one of the best wrestlers ever, and I had yeah. no idea who he was. Well, <laughs> um, it, it's very early to talk about. We no- normally don't talk about what we're going to watch next until later on in the sort of episode, like at mm-hmm. the end. But uh, since it's relevant, I'll bring it up now. The actual next thing we're going to be watching is we said after we did sort of men's, finish men's singles, um, we were then going to go on to like women's singles. But before we did, we'd watch like a feud through. And the feud we're going to watch is Okada versus Kenny Omega. Oh, yes. Okay. So I'm we're going to get to watch those sort of two best wrestlers in the world oh, shit, having man. some of the best actual like wrestling matches of all time yeah and potentially the best sort of series of matches there has ever been yeah um and like i was a bit like weird about showing you a documentary because on one hand it sort of spoils some of the matches because it gives you the end results you know eh. what i mean but but in theory, the hand, like I can, I I think I can start to predict so far in the first like five minutes. So it's like you would know pretty early on mm-hmm. potentially. So it doesn't really matter. And, and also, and the thing is with wrestling telling a story, like, uh, so actually I'll go back to my original point before I go into this one. Is um, also it'll be very interesting to see how it affects you, you like how you enjoy the match, actually knowing a bit of the storyline. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like because now you do, you've got a bit of a sort of intro to the storyline. Mm-hmm. And it'll be interesting to see how that affects your enjoyment. But one thing I was going to say is, with the predictability of wrestling, is that if you actually know the sort of like behind the scenes of wrestling, almost all matches are predictable. Like at WrestleMania, there was like three matches that everyone going into it knew the outcome of. There was yeah. like guaranteed winners. There was no way they could not have that person win because the storyline demanded them to win you know what i mean but it sort of doesn't matter that we know they where they're gonna win because like the sort of like payoff to the storyline is so good anyway you know what i mean and it's it's like in a a cop drama or something like you may know who the criminal is and you know they're gonna get arrested eventually Mm -hmm. but that doesn't make that moment any you know less when they actually do get arrested yeah it's still like yes they got him you know what i mean like and that's how it is with wrestling. It doesn't actually matter too much if the match is predictable because it doesn't cheapen that sort of payoff to a storyline. And yeah. I do feel that this is like one of the problems we have with how we're doing it, where we're watching, you know, just like matches without necessarily any of the build up, is that wrestling is fundamentally a sort of storytelling medium. And, you know, you're not really getting much of the story, you are just getting the sort of matches yeah which might also be my problem because i've never bothered to really pay much attention to the storyline and look at it again i keep trying to think of it as 
in a real fight where the outcome is like, or the, the objective, not outcome, is like, take down the other guy, don't get hurt kind of thing. And clearly they're not going to be doing that when there's also a story to tell. And the more things we watch, episodes we do, it's like that's slowly starting to stick in my brain. And it's and I'm slowly being able to let go of more of the hangups I had and the things that kept me from enjoying it, but not completely yet because I'm still just... Whether it's from the long-time bias of what I grew up hearing about wrestling or yeah. just because it's going to take some time. We're still only seven episodes in, you know? So, like, on the subject of, like, matches, when you watch them sort of in a bubble, abstracted, been a bit like crap, a great recent example of this is Adam Cole versus Johnny Gargano that happened this, you know, last weekend, WrestleMania weekend at NXT TakeOver. In a bubble, if you watch that match on its own with no storyline, you'd think it was terrible. It had interference. Johnny Gargano beat up four people on his own, which is ludicrous. <laughs> he kicked out of, like, everyone's finishing moves, which, you know, in theory, like, cheapens them and stuff, and it's just not believable that he kicked out of as much stuff as he did. He, like, full-on supermaned the match, you know what I mean? Oh, man, this sounds like I would be getting so annoyed by the end of the but, match. Yes, but the thing is, is that match wasn't, in a bubble. It wasn't, you know, just a match on its own. It was the final payoff to Johnny Gargano's, like, three-year story of trying to win that championship and always coming up short. Because we watched Johnny Gargano versus Almas, where he tried win the title and lost. That story has still been going on. Like, he's still been trying. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that match was finally his moment it was when he find like that storyline that had been told over like three years it was the payoff for it so yes he beat up three people who came down to interfere but it's because he needed to like he couldn't have someone else come in and help yeah. him yeah 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 because that had cheapened it it wouldn't be that he earned it you know what i mean he had to do it himself you know he had to be the one to win it you know what I mean? And, like, he kicked out so much stuff because, like, he, it was his moment, you know, and he was ready. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. he, he up till then, he'd been distracted from winning the title because he'd been feuding with Champa, and Champa kept interfering with his matches. He always had Champa on his mind, distracting him. But mm-hmm. now Champa's injured and out of it. So his mind is like, you know, it's sort of like the Kota Ibushi Kenny. You know, Kenny kept losing because he was focused on Kota. Yeah. But once him and Kota, you know, were reunited, he could win. And that's all what happened here. Johnny kept losing the title because he was so focused on his feud with Champa. Okay. And now that that was out of the way, he finally won it. And it's like, so you can't watch that match just in a bubble. It'd be trash. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it would make sure. no sense. But with that story behind it, three years build up, it made total sense. Like, I also think that and like the documentary talking about how long these things are building like the Kenny Ibushi situation was like a 10 year yeah, long literally a 10 story, year story like, like decade so I've never even thought about that much time like for me it was like they have like before I really thought about it I would have said oh they probably have like you know five to ten episode like arcs thinking of it like you know another like some bad TV show or something. So yeah. that also raises my 
um, estimation a bit for wrestling, I guess, well, because I'm like that—that that is some dedication. It's, it's I'm comedies. always about the long, the long game and the long yeah. story over immediate payoff. Well, it's one of my. I, I people get annoyed at me like because I, well I, I feel people probably get annoyed at me because of how much I bash on WWE but they deserve <laughs> it right they really do because most people's idea of wrestling in this day and age is the WWE they yeah like I didn't company. know a single other wrestling promotion or uh, like match WWE, before this you know, yeah everyone knows them that everyone's idea of what wrestling is if you're not a wrestling fan. But the pro- one of their biggest problems these days is that they actually don't care at all about long-term booking. They change storylines week to week because they think people will have forgotten it. There's no yeah. continuity. Yeah, and it's- like I picked up on that because even just hearing like when my exes were all super into wrestling and like James talking about it, it feels like there is so much turnover and so much change. That was also a thing that would turn me off. I'm like, that's too much effort to there's, keep up with when I'm already not moment, invested. There's a moment. You know how in this documentary they talked about how the IWGP Championship in Japan is like the top of that company. Like whoever wins, owns that belt, you know they're going to be one of the best wrestlers in the world. Mm-hmm. They won't let just Joe Bloggs challenge for the title because, you know, it cheapens it. You know what I mean? They keep it respected. Meanwhile, in WWE, they took a guy who was what we call in wrestling a jobber. Their job is to lose matches after matches to that's make what, their talent look good. That's what Kenny was before he left, right? When he was talking about it? When he was his brief yeah, time yeah, in he WWE? Was a jobber. His, yeah. his job was to lose to make the bigger guys look good. Okay. Right? Yeah. WWE took a guy who had been a jobber his entire career and gave him the title belt overnight. Well, and just expected stupid. us to like forget that he had just been a jobber. That's dumb. Yeah. Like, so this is one of the things is like other companies, New Japan, you know, and stuff like that, do these long term detailed storylines, you know, that connect, you know what I mean? Like characters don't just forget their history with each other. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it don't just get forgetting once the feud's over. Like it, yeah. it stays a thing. And it's so sad that most people's impression of wrestling comes from WWE, who their product is so bad at the moment that from last year to this year, they've lost 30% of their viewers. Oh, shit. Their product is terrible, yet it's what most people know of wrestling. Yeah. And that's so sad, you know, because it means people are missing out on what makes wrestling actually so good. Like, mm-hmm. the matches aren't as athletic as other companies. They're not full of, you know, fancy, flippy moves that look incredible and take so much skill and coordination to pull off. I was going to say, they both don't have Lucha... the storytelling. Like... Yeah, both, like, the Lucha stuff and the New Japan stuff, there's so... it seems, from another, there's so much more athleticism and so much more crazy things happening again. And not just, like, the, the flippy, like, aerial ship, but even, like, more interesting... Uh, submissions and like there were some really cool like kicks and stuff that I've never seen anyone even attempt anything similar in the WWE stuff uh, I've seen. It's just it's the worst of all worlds it doesn't have the great matches and it doesn't have the great stories. I feel like it's because they're complacent it's because they know that they they are are what is associated yeah Yeah. and so they're like when when no one in their mind when no one's coming to challenge you for that supremacy Flynn's like why bother? It also doesn't 
help that they've been run by a 70 plus year old man who <laughs> still remembers how wrestling used to be oh man can you know we just I mean? quick tangent talk about because of course my boyfriend was over during the this year's hall of fame at wrestlemania the fucking degeneration x speech like even someone who doesn't watch wrestling the part where they just kept mentioning uh triple h just kept saying vince mcmahon like vincent whatever mcmahon and i was like why is this funny we know his name and they james explained to me his whole hang up about how never like thank me and don't like say my name and i'm like okay this became so they all just keep saying it yeah they just kept going oh man it was so funny but that also goes to show like what a weird guy. Like, that's the person yeah. running this? Like, how this is no one more also, concerned? <laughs> also, it's actually it's actually a lot of the weird... You know how in WWE, everyone, everyone nowadays hates their promos because their promos don't sound believable at all? A lot okay. of that is because of Vince McMahon. Like, he makes some proper weird rules about, like, what a wrestler... Like, you can't say, my fans. You have to say, the WWE universe. You're not allowed to say... That's annoying. Tight, like, you're not allowed to say, um belt like you're not allowed to refer to a championship as a belt you have to call it like the wwe universal championship in full every time oh that's so unnecessary you can't say i i want a title match you have to say i want a shot at the title um you're not allowed to say hospital you have to say local medical facility (laughs) it's so dumb Oh my and god. It makes their promos so like unbelievable and just yeah. you can't buy into anything anyone is saying at all. <laughs> I also that brings me one of my notes I wrote later when they showed the president of New Japan. I was like, You're not Japanese. how are you the president of New Japan oh, Pro Wrestling? He's, he's actually a very it's a very recent change. He's only okay. just become the president and it's basically because they're at the moment one of the big things New Japan is doing is trying to expand into America. Oh, okay. So they, you know, appointed someone who would be better at that, you know. Okay, I mean? just I, like I not so much. I thought it was like a bad thing. I had a problem with it. I was just intrigued as to how the president of New Japan uh, Pro Wrestling was not Japanese. Yeah, New Japan actually really shook things up recently because, um, you know, the legendary sort of venue Madison Square Garden. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's it's legendary. You know? Yeah, of course. Uh, no one besides WWE has sold that out for ye like for like twenty years or something, right? I thought Ed Sheeran no, I thought Ed Sheeran did. No, I mean Oh no though he oh wrestling. Okay, yeah, never mind. And um even WWE when they do do like rolls or something, Madison Square Garden, they don't sell it out, right? Okay. New Japan booked Madison Square Garden for a show and WWE tried block them from rent like they tried, you know, block them from renting the venue. Let's well, petty. thinking it's like their venue or something, but you know stupid. And basically, it's really sort of scared WWE because New Japan sold out Madison Square Garden in less yeah, than an hour. Yeah, they did. Yeah, they did. In less than an hour. Which is ridiculous. Um, so yeah, they, that's currently a big New Japan thing is that they're trying to spread into America more. So that's why their president was, you know, not Japanese. Okay. So yeah, cool, cool. Back to, after the big long tangent... <laughs> yeah um when they mentioned he was from winnipeg made me excited because i'm like yeah go canada for anyone who didn't know i'm canadian so you know and they like, also interviewed chris jericho a lot in this and chris jericho did. is considered a really good wrestler yeah um he's also canadian yeah i know because he's um james's favorite wrestler so i i actually know about him and i have some of his music on my itunes because he does music as well but um 
Yeah, but not only is he Canadian, he's from, like, the frickin' Canadian boonies, man. Manitoba and Saskatchewan are, like, the most boring and empty provinces. Like, even people from there. I had a guy once, I was flying from West Coast to East Coast, Canada, from BC back to Ontario, and the guy next to me was from Saskatchewan. I don't remember which city in the province, but as we were flying over it, he, we got to, like, the western border, and he was like, oh, look, you can see my house from here. And then we got to the eastern border and he was like, oh, it's right about here. Because they joke the province is that flat and empty and boring. You can oh see from God. one end to the other. It's just fucking wheat fields and mosquitoes. Like, that's all that lives there. So, and then the, and then he showed his cottage, like, when he filmed um, Kenny, when he filmed that little video to audition for, like, DDT. It's just a log cabin. It's not like this is the most Canadian thing ever. Fucking making your wrestling thing at your like boonie cottage. Oh my um, god, yes. One one thing uh, about great about like Chris Jericho is you know he is in a band and does his own music. One, yeah. one of the great things is you know normally companies that like wrestling companies have to worry about like music rights and stuff like that. Oh yeah, he's like, no, just well, use mine. Bitch. Yeah, he just he just uses his own music as the his rights. theme tune. And, yeah. <laughs> Well, that makes sense. His music's like pretty epic, pretty pump up music. Like the song, the one only song I know well, because it's the one that is on James' playlist and Can plays I guess? a lot. Yes. Judas. Yes. <laughs> How did I guess? But like, just listen. Like that would make great entrance music. Like you know, especially if you're a heel and you have some sort of betrayal as your storyline, well, given the was, context uh, when, of Judas. You know. When he went to New Japan, he was a heel, and he did he come out to Judas. So it makes sense. Are, do they use whenever like American, North American wrestlers or like non-Japanese wrestlers go to New Japan? Do they often become heels? Because like Kenny was a heel when he made it. Uh, in. Yes, they're, they're, like it's the idea of you know the heel foreigner, foreigner because yeah. that's that's the thing in um, America as well is that whenever America hires you know other countries' talents, they're almost always you know heel foreigners. Makes sense. Like Ru- Rusev playing the big Russian, you know, or Bulgarian, you know, monster. Yeah. Um, Ivan Kolov and you know all sorts of stuff like that. they always do the heel foreigner thing you know it's just it's just what they do and it's the same in yeah. Japan when foreigners go over you know they but not always very very often okay. they are but not always because Kenny Omega did eventually like once he teamed back up with Kota Ibushi he turned to what we call you know a face but okay. yeah he definitely started as a bad guy you know? yeah yeah uh, next thing in my note, again, we talked about it as one of the things why I overall really liked watching this. But again, when the various people they were interviewing talked about the importance of queer stories on TV and particularly in a medium like wrestling, because again, and I'm not saying this is an accurate uh, perception or true, but like before uh, I started watching it to do this podcast, before Hanzo approached me, I like the I would have associated words like toxic masculinity and like heteronormativity and stuff with wrestling and I thought it was a very like oh men being like stereotypical like macho men like no feelings muscular huh, punch people nah. like uh, you know things that it definitely is not and no one come like murder me in my dms please but it's easy to for people that don't spend the time to really get into it to think that from the little bits and pieces we get and then also again the like bias I grew up with because that's how it was also I was told what it was so I never in a million years would have thought I would see a storyline like this in any form of wrestling like that level of uh emotion with Kenny and uh Ibushi and stuff and particularly the fact that we were saying it, it might not even be like they the two of them might not even be gay but it was still pl- done so well 
and so genuinely so um, and then even the people in the documentary being like yeah like it was really awesome for me as someone who was like gay by whatever insert other lgbt term queer umbrella here to see that in wrestling and talked about how it brought so many more fans to it because like seeing that now i want to watch their matches i want to support them just because they made me feel emotions and i like that and it's like, um, as much as you tried to say, like, it's not like that. Please don't come at me. I've always actually thought that the idea of wrestling is like, oh, it's all masculine and manly and they, they hate women and they hate gays. <laughs> like, is actually, it's not anymore, but it used to be a very, very valid stereotype. Because, like, did, yeah. you, did you end up watching that video I sent you, Wrestling Isn't Wrestling? Uh, if I did... It was a while ago. I don't uh, remember. Don't, I linked to it while you were on holiday saying, like, what oh. get back. Oh, shit. No, I don't think I ever did. I'm oh, sorry. okay. Well, there's a thing they talk about in that where they say, like, back in the day, wrestling, and they joke about it where they have this wrestler go, like, I'm a, I'm a man, and I'm, I'm American, <laughs> and I'm an American man. And it's like, that's how it actually used to be. It was all about being as manly as possible, and they would fight over who gets the girl. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, and like, before women's wrestling started to become yeah. the more even playing field, is say, like, it was women were there to wear skimpy outfits and hold up the round one, like, round two. Yeah. cards and stuff you know so bra and panties matches or wrestling mud yeah (laughs) exactly exactly so i just for record uh, there was literally a match stipulation once that was a (laughs) wrestle in mud removal of clothes match between two women wrestlers where they had to the first one to strip each other down while wrestling in mud won for fuck's sakes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so yeah, see, it's a thing. It comes know. from somewhere, basically. Yeah. And then you've got characters like Gorgeous Boy George, who basically was a flamboyant gay dude, and that made him a bad guy. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And or you've like, got like again, like Gold Dust, who basically he was like very weird and sexual and stuff like that, and that made him a heel because people don't like being confronted with, you know, like sort of yeah. flamboyant sexual stuff like yeah and people were saying that not only is it we want to see like lgbt representation in wrestling but representation where it is it is more genuine and there's still a great wrestler and can do all kinds of wrestling because of that and not playing on those stereotypes and the tropes like those wrestlers you just mentioned or like i said the only one that came to mind the only other in my limited uh time in this world wrestler i've seen that I don't even know if... I don't think he is. I think James told me he is not gay. It's the character, and he's like, fine, I'll play it. Uh, Velveteen Dream, because I saw that one NXT match. He says, like, rhinestones on his outfit, and just the way... Like, he was adopting all of those cliche uh, mannerisms that the, like, stereotypically more effeminate gay male has. Um, it wasn't, like, 100%, like, to be a joke. Like, it wasn't... he. It wasn't necessarily making fun of like gay people but it also wasn't the most flattering portrayal well, yeah. at the same time do, you, know? Do you know one of the big differences between velveteen dream and, and like it's a great example of how wrestling has has changed is that he is very much this flamboyant you know gay character that's very over the top and very dramatized yeah and he's the people's favorite he's a face oh yeah i i you still immediately I mean? cheered for him and when james was about to, i was like i don't yeah. even i don't even know the storyline here but i want him to win just because and that's such a big statement on how wrestling has changed literally if you went back just 10 years just 10 he'd yeah. be a bad guy yeah. you know what i mean just just for being that way he would be a bad guy but it's changed so much now that he's like the biggest face and like like almost the biggest face in the whole of nxt like nice. playing a sort of flamboyant yeah. 
gay character. And yeah, there's nothing wrong with that character. And again, that's still some form of representation for LGBT. But now it's like, I want to see more. I want to see multiple at once. I want to see different versions of that. I want to see also the slightly more like masculine, like gay guy or the one that you or someone like Kenny Omega, who we have have no idea. He could be gay. He could not be gay. But he still has an incredibly close like relationship with the male. That is part of his wrestling story. It's like, that's the thing is when that stuff stops being the exception you there's room for characters to be like that like a great example yeah. is in women's wrestling in impact they have a decent women's division mm-hmm. and there's all sorts of women you know they're all just sort of normal women that are wrestlers but then yeah. there's this one whose whole gimmick is that she's like the sexiest woman in that company and her she just is you know like her sex is sort of like her whole thing you know she wears the skimpy outfit she you know and it's like because she's the exception, there's room there for that character. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't it doesn't seem sort of exploitive anymore. It seems like, well, yeah, there are gonna be some women who want to be like that. You know what I mean? It makes sense for yeah. one of them to be like that. Like there's room for that character. The problem is when it isn't the exception and it's the norm and every female character is that. Yeah. And that's and that's the same with like the you know, LGBT characters is there is room like it when when they stop being the exception, there will be room for flamboyant ones because there are some flamboyant LGBT people. Yeah, of course. Like that but, stereotype exists for a reason. Yes. It's not completely inaccurate at but, times. But when they are the exception and that is the only way they get portrayed, it's problematic. Exactly. You know what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, also thought it was kind of funny because he mentioned his his real name. So I'm like, well, you, mean, you mean Kenny? Obviously, Omega is not his last name. But I figured his first name would still probably be a Ken or something about it. But no, his name is Tyson Smith. I'm like, where the fuck did Kenny Omega come from? Um, I'm just intrigued. Also, he uh, before he became a pro wrestler, he actually did a amateur hockey because because oh, Canada. Canada, of course, yeah, because do. Canada. What else do you do in freaking Manitoba where it's cold as fuck all the time? Anyway, um, random throw. But he's, there's some line he mentioned, like, eating hearts. I don't even remember the context now. I just I just have a note here going, why are we talking about eating hearts, Kenny? This isn't Game of Thrones. What are you doing? Yeah, it was just, you know, it was the idea of, like, uh, like he beat him so badly, you know, he just destroyed the person. It wasn't Oh, okay. Literal, I couldn't remember the actual you know quote. I mean? yeah. still, said, it still, it sounded really weird when he said it. Yeah. I was like, what the It was fuck? especially because he started on it. Like, there was no context. It was just like, I ate his heart. It's like, whoa, yeah, I was whoa, like, whoa, whoa. Hang on a minute. Sir. <laughs> but he went on afterwards. He went like, I ate his heart. I decimated him. I beat him yeah, mercilessly okay, okay. in front of 10,000 people. You know I remember I mean? now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I also like they made two comparisons uh, of wrestling. And one was to comparing wrestlers to just like live acting stuntmen. And I was like, that's, that's, yeah, that is pretty accurate. I, I really like that comparison. And another one I thought was really interesting because I never would have made this connection in my head. But some guy compared it to ballet. And now he's like, ballet, it's like a physical activity. They're still going to tell the same story like they know how the ballet is going to end when they start but they some nights will just dance it some people will always dance it better than others even though they're doing the same things and just because ballet is such a stereotypically you know like elegant a higher class like a more elitist art form of all the performing arts out there compared to wrestling which the way i was 
like it was portrayed to me growing up is this like lower class like for that lower iq like lower everything just very inferior because my parents were oh so lovely about people who watch wrestling like literally saw people like as inferior people and there was someone who goes to the ballet is like oh no that's a fancy bitch like to put you it grow up learning <laughs> this is third rate entertainment yeah exactly so i really thought that was an interesting comparison and i was like thinking about that for a good like 10 I, minutes after I, the guy was I talking actually I loved those two comparisons. Well, I noted both of them down as well. This stuntmen performing live. Yeah. And, you know, this idea of, you know the dance, but some people are going to dance it better. You know what I mean? Like comparing yeah. it to, it, like acknowledging, yes, it's fake. You know what the outcomes are going to be, but you do when you go see Swan Lake. Like everyone knows the story of Swan Lake. Yep. It's not going to change when you go see a different company do it. But what matters is how well they perform it. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing with wrestling. Like, yeah, you know what the outcome's going to be. But some people are going to do that story better than others. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, it was just one of those, is, like, epiphany moments yeah. where it really just told me I need to really stop trying to... I just need to get rid of this idea of the, the level of realism that I've decided is what I want out of this. And start looking at it more as... Like, start looking at how well they're doing what they're doing rather than what I think of the overall story or some of the yeah, gim- more I've gimmicky always, moments. And I've always felt that wrestling, actually, for what it is, it gets a really, really bad rap. And I know why it does. It's its roots. It grew up... It, it, it first came into existence in carnivals. You know what I mean? It's, it's oh, carny okay. yeah. stuff. You know P.T. Barnum, the guy who created show. Yeah, 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 yeah. He made pro wrestling. He was the first oh, guy who did it. Yeah. Oh, shit. Uh, it's carnivals. He'd get, like, strong men and stuff like that, and he'd do, like, um, oh, can anyone beat this strong man? And he'd have, like, ah. a plant in the audience go, I can beat him! You know what I mean? And then they'd ah, go and work that's a funny. fake match. Like, he was the first person to, you know, sort of invent pro wrestling. That's kind of so cool. So it's, it's got its roots in, you know, like, carnivals, you know, in carny stuff. So it has this stereotype of, you know, it's... It is, like, lower class, you know what I mean? It's it's gimmicky, it's silly, and stuff like that. But when you look at modern wrestling and start to think about it, right, these wrestlers, like Kenny Omega and stuff like that, when they go into a match, they don't... WWE does, but no other company does, is they don't plan out a whole match. They plan out a few big moments. And then improvise an entire match on the fly with someone who only speaks Japanese, right? You know yeah. what I mean? Like, he didn't speak... Well, at first, he didn't speak Japanese. He learned it eventually. I was like, he, he, see, he sounded pretty good by the end of the documentary. Yeah. <laughs> but when he first went there, he didn't speak Japanese and had to improvise a match with someone who only spoke Japanese yeah, where that's... one wrong move can break your neck. Yeah, that's pretty terrifying. That's insane! Who else does that? In what other (laughs) medium of entertainment does that happen? Like, dancers, like, you know, rehearse everything. Stuntmen practice a stunt, you know, hundreds of times and stuff like that. But wrestlers go out there and improvise a story in front of thousands of people involving death-defying stunts. And that's insanity. And it's like nobody, like... Like, it gets such a bad rap and nobody sort of, like, actually, like, thinks about what it is. Like, they have to, like, react to how... Like, a great example of this recently 
It's once again, this doesn't happen in WWE's main product because they pre-planned the entire match. There's no yeah. room to work on the fly. But like a great example is uh, recently Dream, uh, Velveteen Dream versus Matt Riddle. When they planned the match beforehand, Riddle was meant to be the good guy, right? He was meant to be the good guy. Velveteen Dream was meant to be the bad guy. Mm-hmm. But when they actually got there into the building, the crowd went mental for Velveteen Dream and booed Matt Riddle. So they just changed the plan on the fly and Matt Riddle wrestled the entire match as the bad guy. Oh my goodness. You know what I mean? Like, they just changed it on the fly. Like That's pretty and like, crazy. And this this idea of it just being like this improvised stunt's been performed live, not rehearsed, is madness. Like... Is absolute madness, and yet, like, like I say, it just gets sort of no actual like recognition for how like insane that actually is. Like, how much talent it takes. People think of wrestlers as like, oh, they're just you know these manly bravado idiots, and it's like they're doing something that takes so much talent, so much athleticism, so much coordination, like putting your life in another person's hand. You, see, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, like. And like I say, like you've got to improvise it and make it look totally smooth. Like you can't have, you know, weird moments because they stand out so badly. Yeah. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Like That is pretty pretty nuts. I thought they were all like down to each individual movement, like pre planned, rehearsed, that kind of thing. Guess I was wrong. Um, like I say, that's sort of how that's how they do it in um, WWE. Is they'll yeah. actually sort of plan out the whole match beforehand. Yeah. But what most wrestling companies do is, like I say, they'll plan a few sort of big spots and how the match will end. Mm-hmm. But other than that, they just go in there and you know. Improvise. That's so scary. No. I also thought it was cool in the documentary they showed that, like, first match of Kenny when he was still a teenager in, like, the, the bar where there was, like, strippers at the same time. Um, he was called the kid because he was still so young. Because I know to, for a lot of – this isn't just wrestling, but to a lot of, like, uh, organizations, anything – any competitive scene, whether it's, like, a sport or, like, esports, it's, like, it's obvious, it's obvious what the top tier is. So in wrestling – or in theory, WWE in, like – or another example, like esports, Overwatch League, if you play Overwatch, is like top tier. But then it's like, but how do you get there? What are the lower levels? What does entry level look like? And a lot of people don't actually know uh, for any like sport or career organization what that looks like. And especially someone like me who has no idea about the world of wrestling, it's kind of cool anytime I get to see a glimpse into into like pe- where people started and how they started and stuff. It's yeah, kind of cool. it's... it's um... Uh, it's a, yeah, it's really, really cool to see, you know, where he started and how far he has actually, you know, come, you know what Yeah, I mean? and, and it seems like he was a, a really big self-starter, like, he found that match, he went out of his way to look for opportunities, he's the one who sent a video to DDT and was like, yeah. hey, I want to work with you guys, it, he wasn't scouted or anything like that. And making the conscious decision for WWE, like, turning down... WWE. That takes balls. Uh, yeah, that early in mental. your career and deciding and knowing that, like, to like, me, that's when, also. When he was like, that's the thing, like, if he was already the massive star in New Japan and holding their title belt, it's easy to turn down WWE. Oh, yeah. Because, you, you know, you're already in such a good spot. But when you're 
literally working in bars for like maybe at best a hundred people. Yeah. And you turn down WWE? That's madness. <laughs> yeah, and that just shows like he clearly from a very young age he knew what he wanted and he knew he wanted to do it while being true to himself. And he's like, I, I'm I'm down to tell a story. That's what I want to do. I love it. I wrote, he made a note about he wants to put so much more story into his matches to be more than, quote, the fake fighting guy because he's clearly trying to appeal to people like me who just look at wrestling and think fake fighting, lame, like cheesy. And he wants to highlight the story and like the other storytelling and the other part of like the art form behind that. So... I was very impressed. I immediately was like, he just went up 10 points in my esteem for having the balls to turn down WWE. And, like, you can see how he felt about it with what he actually, like, said about WWE. Where he says, like, when you go there, they strip away all that you were before you went there. You know yeah. what I mean? And, like, rebuild you from the ground up. Like, he couldn't be himself. He had to be whatever they told him he was going to be. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And I think James told me something similar when I was asking about Velveteen Dream the first time I saw him, because he apparently, I, I might be telling the story wrong, this was like a conversation ages ago, but it was something along the lines of, I guess he approached WWE, and like obviously this character is not the character he would have ever chosen for himself to play, but he's so determined that he's like, I will do whatever you tell me to, and I'm going to do it amazing to prove to you how badly I want to be here and how badly I want to be a wrestler, kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, and yeah because uh, he was on he did their, it. He was on the reality show Tough Enough, which is like uh, basically okay. like a group of people compete for a WWE contract. Yep, and um, you know that ended up sort of not working out for him. Like, you know, he, yeah. he, he it just didn't really work out. But, you know, he sort of reinvented himself as, you know, like the Velveteen Dream and that worked out. And the thing is, a lot of wrestling's best ever characters come from that. It's like Undertaker, right? One of the sort of most legendary characters in all wrestling. One of those characters that even people who don't know anything about wrestling know who the Undertaker is. Yeah. Mark, whatever his name is, the guy who plays Undertaker, Undertaker wasn't his idea. He got told... Like, right, I've got a new idea for your character. You're going to be an undead wizard who has an army of <laughs> druids who can call down lightning. Got it? And he's like, uh... But the thing like, is, am I playing, so... am I playing Dungeons and Dragons here? Like, hello? <laughs> yeah, but he sort of, like, went so all in on it that it worked. You know what I mean? Like, he didn't half... Asset at all. Well, yeah, like, when you get a character that's any, like, any sort of extreme, or you generally, it's either you go big or go home. You it, It's only going to work if you commit to it. That's, like, basic principle in, like, acting or anything. The more out there something is, the more you have to commit to it. So if there's any hint of hesitation, like, if you're not buying your own performance, why do you expect anyone else to, right? So. Yeah, and it's, like, a, another great example, going back to, you know, a controversial one, is gold dust. Like, the Goldust character on paper is like, right, you're going to be, like, very flamboyant, sort of gay, and very sexual, and you're going to paint yourself gold. Like, that could have flopped so <laughs> hard. But this guy would come out, like, led by a woman with, like, on his hands and knees with a collar around his neck. You know, proper BDSM st yeah. stuff. And he would, <laughs> he would do that. He'd go all in on it. Like, he didn't half-hearted at all you know he'd like stroke his body and stuff in like really sort of 
oh my god and stuff and like say come out wearing like collars with a leash on and stuff and he just went so all in on it and like made it work like he you know took the ball by the horns and that's what velveteen dream did like he got like a weird gimmick that's all on paper shouldn't work but just went so all in on it that he like made it work (laughs) yeah for sure for sure and then my next one was like, oh, AJ Styles, I know that name. And then I went back and looked at our uh, episodes we did. And I was like, that was, he was the guy in the very first episode. Yeah, it made me really laugh how he's there talking about Kenny Omega. And he goes, you've done two things right. It was like, one, you just beat me. That's the first thing. Yeah. And secondly, you turned down that crap of a promotion called WWE. That was my like, next note. I was like, oh, lol. Because I was like, oh, shit, t- t- AJ t- called t- the belt. Ten years later, is working for them. <laughs> I know. So I was wondering. So he clearly wasn't working for them when he said that. No, he he. AJ Styles is one of those people that nobody thought would ever go to WWE. Yeah. Because he carried like TNA, who at one point were the big sort of rivals to WWE after WCW fell through, and then like he worked for you know all the indie promotions that everyone thinks of, you know TNA, Ring of Honor, and then he went to New Japan. And became one of their biggest stars. Like, he, you know when Kenny Omega, he joined that group in Japan called the Bullet Club? It yes. The yeah, yeah, yeah. I like their logo. When he joined the Bullet Club, I'm actually wearing a Bullet Club t-shirt right now. Um, When he joined the Bullet Club, it was led by AJ Styles. And AJ Styles, like, at one point was the IWGP heavyweight champion. So, like, he was so well... He was, like, the star of, like, American indie wrestling. You know what I mean? Like, he worked all the indie promotions right at the top of the cards. He went to Japan and dominated Japan. So people never thought he'd join WWE because he encapsulated everything that WWE wasn't. He was sort of a small guy by their standards. He did very athletic wrestling that was very fast-paced with a lot of flips and stuff like that. And he spent so much time in the Indies. People thought he'd never go to WWE. Yeah. So when he did, it was like a huge, you know, wow (laughs) moment. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Okay, uh, where's my next note? I just scrolled. Here we go. Um... Yeah, again, I wrote the video of the fight at his cottage is freaking hilarious. But I, again, to me, that went to show the creativity Kenny has, like the use of the move where he ran up the tree fighting by the yeah. lake using like the props in the kitchen and like the freezer door to like clothesline and the guy. I was like, this is of, clever. This fa- is fun. One of my favorite subtle moments was that uh, he goes in there to just challenge the guy and the guy's just sat there in his own home playing video games, but happens to have his wrestling attire on under his normal clothes. Like, that was such a small detail, like, but I loved it. Like, the idea that this yeah. guy's just always wearing his wrestling outfit under his normal clothes, like... Yeah. Uh, so, in case you couldn't tell... uh, So, obviously, eventually, Kenny went on to join New Japan. But before he did, he wrestled for DDT. You know, who yeah. he made that tape for. In yeah. case you couldn't tell... DDT are a comedy wrestling. I was gonna say, I was like, this shit looks hilarious, is my literal note that I wrote about it. <laughs> Hence them, you know, wrestling in swamps, shooting fireworks at each other, wrestling blow-up dolls, wrestling an eight-year-old girl. Like, 
Oh man, the thing about the girl was like, he's fighting a child. Hello, what is happening? This is both terrifying and adorable in capital letters. I was like, ah, yeah, stop! That's, 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 one, that's one of the things Kenny said about it, is like when he, like that match was such a big risk for him to do because because he, he could so made, easily look like a terrible person. It's like you yeah, just beat he, up a child. <laughs> if he'd have done one wrong move and actually injured the girl, that'd be like career over. You know what I mean? Oh, for sure. But like he did, he he managed to actually have a good wrestling match with an eight-year-old girl. Yo, that girl needs to become a wrestler. She was legit. She looked she, she good. Has. She has now. Okay, now good. Now that it's like ten years <laughs> later, she I believe has joined Stardom, which is okay, the women's cool. wrestling promotion. Cool, cool. On the note of women's wrestling, I think um, Kenny mentioned one of the things he liked about New Japan also was how they handle women and how they have like guys versus girls matches and gender isn't that big of a deal and um, it's more like equal footing and his yeah. exact line, women and men should be judged by the same standard and both can exist as equals. Well, and I was like, so, preach, Kenny! So, um, just, a, just a little sort of clarification is he was actually, that was about DDT. Uh, because New Japan is is actually one of the big things about New Japan is they don't have women's wrestlers at all in New Japan, and that's not necessarily because they you know sexist dickwad. It's because Japan actually has like a you know a really really big all women's promotion called Stardom, so New Japan doesn't want to sort of leech off of them. You know what I mean? Like they let the women's promotion do its thing and they do their own thing. Like okay, that's kind of cool. And then DDT is you know the. Uh, although New Japan are actually in talks at the moment to start partnering with Stardom to have Stardom's female wrestlers wrestle in New Japan. But not as, like, New Japan people as Stardom wrestlers, which is cool. Um, okay. But, yeah, like, this is one of the things about wrestling, with wrestling being fake, is in actual sports, there's very good, as much as people don't want to admit it, biological reasons why men and women can't compete on equal footing. Yeah, right? exactly. But wrestling's fake. <laughs> There's no reason why men and women can't compete on equal footing because it's fake. You know what I mean? Because we can plan it. Oh. Yeah, wrestling is one of the few places in the whole world where men and women can compete together as equals. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah. They don't in WWE because uh, WWE... Their sponsors don't like it because it sort of like in their minds promotes domestic violence, mm-hmm. um, which I think is sort of like I can sort of see that argument. But on the other hand, if you do it badly, it does. Like if you just have the men beat up these poor defenseless women, yeah, if that's yeah, the only does, thing. You know? And also, it's like, well, there's also domestic violence. Going back to LGBT representation, it's yeah. like there's still domestic violence in same-sex couples, in couples that are transgender, couples that are non-binary, like. Domestic violence isn't limited to men yeah. hurting women. And even in, like, hetero couples, there are women who abuse the men. And there are mm-hmm. men who are victims of abuse. So, like... So, I, I feel the idea of, oh, it promotes domestic violence is more a problem with how they portray it than actually... Exactly. You know, it's it's that they put, show the women as, like, oh, they can't actually compete with the men. They're these poor, defenseless women who the men just beat up, you know. Yeah. That's, that's the problem with how you're portraying it, not actually with, you know how it should be. Like, like exactly. they should be equals, you know what I mean? There's no reason they shouldn't be equals because it's wrestling, it's fake. Like, Which, actually, I, I really, really can't wait to... Like, most of the women's matches we're going to watch are just going to be women-on-women singles matches. Yeah. But when we get to PWG, my favourite promotion, 
I'm going to show you a match, which is a, it's a tag team match between the Young Bucks, who you've seen a lot in this documentary, actually, because they were with Kenny Omega and Kota a lot. Okay. Uh, versus um, Candice LeRae and Joey Ryan. And Candice LeRae, like, she's the only woman in that match, but she's the star of that match. Nice. She, like, is the highlight. She's just a highlight reel in that match. She just goes from moment to moment, like, standing out. You know what I mean? Cool. And it's so awesome. I love it. So I can't wait to show you that one. I'm excited. I mentioned there's something Kenny seemed to do a lot in matches where it's like he starts to do a move and then stops and stares at his opponent and does this, like, finger wag, like the no, 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 at them. And I'm like, all right, this is a little weird. I don't know how I feel about this this Kenny finger wag move. But uh, so Kenny Omega, because way. he used to wrestle in DDT, which is comedy promotion. Yeah. He used to wrestle like he used to do like this thing called like the like time freeze, where he just put his hand up and his opponent would stop. You know what I mean and yeah. stuff. He, his finishing move was a Hadouken, where he would like do sort of like the Hadouken motion, but actually like hit his palms into his opponent, <laughs> you know, to knock them over. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, but no, he doesn't wrestle like that anymore. He's now a very, very serious. You know, oh, okay, wrestler. okay. When when he moved over to New Japan, he dropped all of like the sort of silliness from his wrestling because he was wrestling for a very serious promotion. You know. Yeah. Also, it's funny. I have a note going all the way. They are talking. I want him and Coda to become a couple. They're so cute. And then, like a few notes later, yes, it becomes a love story. I ship it. I ship it so hard. <laughs> like that just goes to show again. Put more representation and more things like this and yeah, maybe I... try for more like it's also i think it's because the reason why it was so good like it was clearly immediately apparent that they just had this emotional connection whether it was romantic or not and so much respect for the other and they mentioned it's like two people sharing a brain and stuff and it's like that wasn't written or if it was like that's kismet because they there's no way they could have at least if they yeah. did fake it, they are damn good actors, and, and like, they might the have way, missed their the calling. Way, the way they could do stuff so in sync with each other. Oh my like, god, the part where they do like the spins, and the flips—they're literally I'm like, then, like you, you should go into same, you should go into same-sex ice dancing. You guys would get the like, the dance like the synchronicity marks, like fucking perfect, hundred out of hundred, man. Good lord. Yeah, they, they they the way how in sync they are when they're doing their double team stuff is just insane. Like they literally move at the exact same speed as each other the whole time. It's Legitimately sharing a brain, like actually. <laughs> and, and the thing is, one of the things that made their story so good is they wrote a bunch of notes about it, like little small details they did to add to it. Like when Kenny betrayed Kota by standing on the apron. When all of his teammates were celebrating the win, he just sort of stood there awkwardly, looking like a lost sheep. You know, didn't I also have a question about that because I wrote mm-hmm. about that betrayal. First of all, seems I my one thing about that was like I think it's very important for a story, but I thought it was a little weird because I'm like all he did was stand there. He didn't actually get like yeah. Coda didn't have to look at him. I don't think that's really a Kenny betrayal. I think that was Coda letting himself get distracted I, I think, personally. I think, yeah, but. I think it was one of those. It's a thing where like he considered it. Like he got up on the apron to do something, but then when he actually sort of like stop you know he just sort of stopped and was like that's Kota I can't do out to him you know what okay, I mean okay maybe yeah like it was like I'm gonna get up and do so wait a minute that's Kota I can't do yeah. out to Kota but the thing is like because he got up on the apron which is allowed Kota you know looked to make sure he didn't do out and like just that like although he didn't end up doing out it gave the person in the ring time to sort of stand up so then when Kota went for his move he was ready to counter it 
So although yeah. Co- Kenny didn't actually end up doing anything, you know, it was a distraction still. Yeah. It still um, seemed a little bit, a little weak, but I was like, I'll allow it because I'm invested in this now. Yeah, um, I, I also I loved... love about them the fact that they were like their their whole thing, the Golden Lovers. It wasn't like oh, like WWE, we're telling you this is your like story and your moniker, and you have to roll with it because they've been given the title like in magazines, Golden Twins. They're like, no, we're gonna fucking own this. We're gonna bring this like question of our sexuality and things like to the forefront, and they are the ones who called and turned themselves golden lovers and i was just like i have so much respect for you right now for doing that fuck yes oh it was so good like going back to small details so there's that one where he doesn't celebrate after that win you know what i mean he just wanders around like a lost sheep and then when he walked past like when they met backstage at the g1 and he sort of walked past kota and was like nope you know don't want anything to do this kota was crying there were tears streaming down his face like so that's what you mean. So about, they like, they you know, cried a lot well, yeah, around you know each other. Saying, so it's like, like that's not a small thing. It's this idea that like going back to that quote the guy said in it, it's got one foot in reality, one foot in fantasy. Those were actual like tears. Like you can't. It's hard to fake crying. You know what I mean? Like exactly. Um, and then there was the moment where Kenny saved Kota, which is like it was the Bullet Club beating up Kota Ibushi. But Kenny's, like, feelings for Kota Ibushi were stronger than his allegiance to the Bullet Club. Oh, my God. You know at that I mean? moment, like, I was like, this is so wholesome. I love this. I know. Oh. And then and then the hug. The they, hug. They were fucking, like, sobbing. It was just I like, know. ugh. Oh, I was, was like, this so is better. Good. This is better than, like, when Damon and Elena finally got to kiss on Vampire Diaries. This is so good. And I can only um, imagine. And that's me just watching the documentary. I can only imagine people that have been longtime fans, like, waiting years for this years like they waited Ten so long years. for this moment and like that payoff would have been oh so good like, and they showed the fans in the audience like men women alike are all crying with them i'm yeah. like yes like this the, is there's, there's two quotes i noted down from that moment which is one person said when do men and women cry at wrestling matches yeah and another person said everyone wants emotional storylines you know what i mean like, yeah exactly true. Like, i wrote a note about that too because they Hold on. Um, where is it? Where is it? I agree with the critic. The idea that wanting emotional storylines is a feminine thing is bullshit. Because, and again, goes back to that, maybe like I said, that whole, well, I know the toxic masculinity that was associated with wrestling, like WWE is getting less and less, but clearly it's still there when the writers of the storylines are still thinking that this is not what our male audience wants, is that kind of emotion and that kind of vulnerability and that, like, uh, closeness and stuff like that. Because it was a very, like, drama, like, watching one of my Netflix shows moment, but in, like, the best way. Yeah. A lot of a lot of people believe that, um, like, because obviously Vince McMahon has almost complete control over WWE, like, creative. You know, yeah. he gets the final say on everything. Yeah. So a lot of people believe that WWE is going to change sort of drastically for the better oh, I'm sure. when he goes you know what I mean? like it's because, a terrible thing to say and i'm not wishing his death yeah. upon him but i'm also very excited to see it's, what it's just happens he, he has a lot of sort of outdated views because at the end of the day he's like an 80 year old man he's gonna have some outdated views you know yeah. what i mean like it's exactly. just that's the way of things you know yep um uh, oh i also said when they going back a bit because I, I skipped it got to, um, when they showed kenny as a heel 
when he first came like joined bullet club that was like oh man this leather look and they put clearly he like dyed his hair a bit darker and things i was like i'm digging this is actually because before i was like i don't know he just seems so like wholesome like like american and golden boy and like the good guy but then when he they first showed him coming he was like oh Oh, you could do both of these. Excellent. I, I kind of dug his his leather heel yeah. look. I'm not gonna um, lie. An important thing that got mentioned in the documentary that made this story so much easier to sort of tell in Japan than it ever would be in like America. Kayfabe. Is, is, yeah, is in America in Japan they protect kayfabe a lot more. And what kayfabe yeah. is is it is it's this idea of presenting it as real, even though everyone knows it isn't. You know what I mean? So. In the US, you get a lot of stuff where when they're in in the ring or like on TV, they everything they do, you know, fits storylines. But then the wrestlers will like take pictures backstage with each other when they're meant to be feuding. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yes, we know it's fake, but when it's sort of shoved in your face that much that oh, it's only they're pretending to wrestle hate each other for TV. It's you know, it's harder to buy into it. You know yeah. what I mean? And I don't know how I feel about it because at first I was like, this is so mean, this is so sad because like now these people who are clearly at the very least very close friends are forced apart kind mm-hmm. of because to protect that. But then at the same time, because of that, it led to that incredible yeah. emotional payoff at the moment and, of and, the hug and, and stuff. And so it's like, is, I get it, but it does make me feel a bit bad for the wrestlers yeah. in and that the, the moment. The thing is they, they will still see each other and talk. It's just not in public. Like, they cannot let other people see that they do that. You know what I mean? Like, and that's the difference is, you know what I mean? It's this idea of you're always sort of in character. You know what I mean? Like, it's like a great example is going back to The Undertaker. One of the things that made The Undertaker so character so good was that the guy who played The Undertaker was never... If he ever did a media appearance, he'd do it as The Undertaker. He'd never like take pictures with sort of fans backstage. He was never ever seen out of character. You know what I mean? So it made The Undertaker so much more so so much of like a better character. And that's yeah. the sort of what they do in Japan. It's like, yeah, him and Kota will have still been friends, but very much in private. You know, they can't be sort of seen out in public together. You know, they can't Which be taking pictures sad. with fans backstage. But, you yeah. know what I mean? Like Yeah. Um all right, now we can go back forward in my notes, blah, blah, blah. I said, I don't think anything we've watched for the podcast so far has had this level of storytelling, and that was why I was so into it. But then I said, but we also have just been watching, like you said, the matches. We haven't been watching. Like, it's not, it wasn't really fair of me to compare this in the same way to the other stuff we've watched and be like, oh this is clearly better storytelling. It's like, well, no, but this is an emphasis on the storytelling as opposed to the wrestling. What we've been watching before is about the actual physical wrestling and then seeing how much of the story I can pick up on kind of thing. Yeah, and it's like, even when we watch this feud through that we're going to do next, is like, we're still just going to be watching like the matches and the video packages before it. You know what I mean? Like, we're still not going to sort of get the whole story, which is one of the cool things about watching this documentary is it's giving, it told you sort of a bit of the story of their matches. Not the whole Uh thing, but, you know, you're going to at least have a rough idea of what the story is going in. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. It'll be interesting to see how that affects your enjoyment of it, you know, knowing at least a sort of bit of the storyline going in. (laughs) Yeah. 
Um, also, the, so the, at the end of the documentary, Kenny was champion. He beat Okada. Is he still the champion now? Or I don't know uh, how long ago. Because I know that's no. recent, that documentary, so, but so, not. Yeah, this documentary, although it came out recently, it was filmed um, a bit ago. It was filmed like, as all in happened, basically, which was you know a while ago now. And prepare for sadness. Um, because him and Kota have actually split up again now. No! Because he has left New Japan. and like Kenny Omega has left New Japan to sign with Hello? All, all Elite Wrestling. But um, no! Who were the group who behind All In. Um, and, but, but, but and romance, Kota, dude! No! And Kota Ibushi has signed with New Japan full time. Uh, no. So it God leaves off. Damn the, it! The documentary leaves off with them. You know, they've reunited finally, and it's all happy tales. But actually, what actually happened just after the documentary sort of ends oh, is that man. they split up again. That's so annoying. Oh, I'm sad. Oh well. <laughs> oh well. Um. Yeah. Ended showing them doing the all-in promotion, like the wrestlers organizing something for themselves, which I think is great. Um, Which um, do you, do you, fun fun story? Do you want to know sort of how like all in actually like ended up happening? Sure. It's a bit hilarious. Someone, you know, Dave Meltzer, that journalist who was interviewed in this. Yeah. And he's also the guy we stole the five star sort of rating system. <laughs> um, yeah. He was once asked on Twitter, like, do you think any company other than WWE could like sell ten thousand tickets in the US? And he said no. He's like, I'd be willing to bet like ten thousand dollars that no other company could sell ten thousand tickets in America. And Cody Rhodes replied to him saying, "I'll take that bet." And that's where like All In started. Like, that's sort of where the planning for All In started. Oh, just that's a, so funny. A group of independent wrestlers wanted to prove actually we can sell ten thousand tickets. You know? Oh my god, yes, I love it. And it's actually yeah. like the the knock on effects of it are insane because they one it caused wwe to start giving everyone like pay rises and stuff like that because there's now actually a viable alternative to wwe yeah it led to the creation of all elite wrestling who like basically it's the guys behind all in have set up their own wrestling promotion now yeah and they we haven't got many details but but they are have got a tv deal with a nationwide cable network. Nice. So they're shaping up to become like a genuine competitor to WWE. Like they're going to be broadcasting millions and millions of homes. And it's all off the back of the success of All In. You know what I mean? Like literally they've run one show. But that one show was so monumentally like groundbreaking and successful. Yeah. That it's led to like the entire industry changing. Contract prices have skyrocketed because both New Japan and WWE are having to pay people more to yeah. stop them signing with all elite wrestling and stuff. You know, that's kind of cool. The entire industry has changed off yeah. the back of one event. Yeah, and I so I think that's that's a good thing though. It's kind of like again, I keep making comparisons to video games, but you need things like that to challenge the dominance of things like wwe again to make them innovate to make them 
get assigned new talent to make them try more risky storylines and stuff like that just like how the argument i'm firm person and i I think we have different opinions on this but i think like console exclusives in gaming is a similar thing because it encourages competition and then we get uh greater games being made a lot of games is like studios need the money and people don't want to shell out games are still getting more and more expensive so we rather than up the price of our game we'll just get a bunch of money from sony and make it a playstation exclusive now the game gets made so just competition in general i think just makes everyone up their game competition is literally how capitalism works you know competition lowers prices increases innovation raises service levels you know that is literally just how competition is the fundamental basis for capitalism and how it works as an economic system you know what i mean yeah which is actually why i'm going off on a super tangent here but it's why things like uh sort of like the railways in the uk now that they've been privatized why they're so expensive and run super late and stuff like that is because railways are a natural monopoly you can only have one train track going between a place yeah so you can't have competition yeah, exactly. So, like, it, you know, so without that competition, they don't have to lower their prices. They can set them at whatever they want to. And they don't have to get the trains running on time because there's no punishment if they don't. They yeah. don't have to increase the service level because there's no incentive to. You know, yeah, like, exactly. Competition is literally the fundamental basis for sort of how capitalism works. And like you say, it's responsible. The lack of competition is responsible for sort of a lot of the problems in wwe they can afford yeah. to just do whatever they want because they're the hot they're the big dogs you know exactly uh this one's not so much a critical note just random i love at um all in when kenny was talking right at the end and i guess he mentioned like his roots and that he never would have pictured he'd be here starting in like winnipeg and some guy in the audience or like growing, growing up in canada just is like winnipeg and, like just i've never heard someone <laughs> yeah, be so that, enth- that emphatic laugh. for fucking winnipeg before in my life and just you all a, know where i come from. like what the f- winnipeg <laughs> yeah i was like whoa okay sir calm down just because it's literally like one of the most no offense I, I i know people from manitoba i have friends from there like there are definitely beautiful parts to Manitoba things, but like, let's be real, guys. Manitoba is not one of the better parts of Canada. It's pretty, pretty, and, and, pretty and empty. I love, so. And I love how when you went like, and you know where some people want me to go. And everyone's like, WWE. Boo. Yeah, yeah. And everyone just has booing. Yeah, so that just made me laugh really hard. I was like, I don't think anyone. I think he might genuinely be the like biggest, the hottest selling point for Winnipeg right now. Kenny Omega is like the best thing to come out of Winnipeg in a long time. Just make me laugh. But yeah, that's the last of my. Also, oh, there's also one random note when he walked backstage after I think beating Okada, he just went and pet someone's service dog. I'm like Kenny, oh, you that's... can't touch a service dog. They're no, working. No, it's, it's not a service dog. It's um. It had a Co- service dog vest on. I, be- I believe that's Cody Rhodes' dog. Well, it was wearing a service dog vest. Really? It said, "Yeah, it was red and black." It said "service dog" on it. Oh. You can't pet them when they're working, Kenny. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's really um, random. Yeah, because uh, like Cody Rhodes at All In had a really big emotional match, where basically he's the son of the legendary Dusty Rhodes. Right? Oh, okay. And uh, Dusty Rhodes was part of the NWA back in the day, and he wrestled all the time for their World Championship. And the NWA World Championship is still around. And it's held by a guy called Nick Aldis, who's not an amazing wrestler, to be honest. He's, you know, alright at best. 
Uh, but he's a great promo. He's a great, you know, talker. And him and Cody Rhodes, all the lead up to build all in, they created a YouTube series called Ten Pounds of Gold, you know, which is referring to the NWA heavyweight title. And they did this like twelve part or something YouTube series called Ten Pounds of Gold, detailing all the background to the match, how Nick Aldis is like a travelling champion, like he travels the whole world defending this title belt, and how he's sort of like it used to be like after the NWA sort of collapsed it became like a joke belt and faded into obscurity and he's brought it back into prominence and then Dusty uh, and Cody Rhodes talking like this was my father's life my father spent his entire life you know wrestling for this belt and he's like I want to win it again to you know make him proud so it had this like massive build up to it and at the start of the match, it felt like, like when they did that match at All In, it felt like a proper, it, you know how some things just have a huge fight feel? Yeah. That had like the huge fight feel, like they both came out with like an entourage of older wrestlers, you know, who were from that ta- like that time. They had like a video package showing like Dusty Rhodes fighting for the title back in the heyday of the NWA. Mm-hmm. He came out with his dog and his wife and stuff like that. And he won the title that his father, you know, made famous. And that was, you know, even though it only, like, it didn't have any TV to build it up. You know what I mean? Because they don't have, at that point, they didn't have a TV deal or anything. It was just built up via, like, YouTube videos and history. But it felt like such a huge deal. You know what I mean? They'd done such a good job with it. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's everything in my notes. So, yeah, the only, unless there's anything we, else you wanted to touch we've on. We've talked about basically everything in my notes. The only things, like, uh, so I, I, I want to talk just down a bit more about is, one, that he'd learnt Japanese just because, like, he wrestled in Japan. That's yeah. dedication. <laughs> Some that serious is, dedication. Yeah. And, he sound, and it sounded really good, too. Like, the bit when he was talking after beating Okada, I was like, if I had my eyes closed and, like, yeah. wasn't looking, I would assume he was a native. It's like, another. there's another story sort of similar to that way. You know John Cena? He actually learned Mandarin oh, just to try help WWE, like, push into China a bit. Oh, well, that's So he could cool. do, like, press conferences in China and stuff. Like, that's that's some cool. serious dedication. That is dedication, man. That is impressive. Because that's not an easy language for, yeah. oh, for people it's that yeah totally not grow just up speaking structured it. differently to like Western languages. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and then just emphasizing, one, they wrestled an eight-year-old girl and actually made it like a good match and didn't hurt her. That's insane. That's so talented. Like, um. And then also just emphasising that they told this story over 10 years. Like, what over... Yeah, that's insane. What other medium does that, like, happen in? You know what I mean? Because most TV shows don't last 10 years. And the ones that do, it's like, storylines never actually go that long. You know what I mean? The only thing I can think of that's even, like, comparable and it's not even the same is something like... um. The, the long game, like, uh, the Monica Chandler uh, relationship or, like, the Ross-Rachel finally yeah. getting re-back together in the last episode of Friends after 10 seasons, yeah. things like that. But that's still... But, again, that's a show where that was kind of... Ex- like, that's a medium where it's more expected. So it's yeah, less yeah. of a big deal. To do that in wrestling seems even more insane. Yeah. Because, like, like, yeah, it just, you know, it 
stories been told over 10 years that like, happen so rarely in anything. You know what I mean? Never mind wrestling. It's crazy. Um, so yeah, that's that's all my... We've already been over basically everything in my notes uh, <laughs> as well. We just sort of touched on a lot yeah, of Yeah, thank you for suggesting that because that was really, really cool to see and probably my favourite thing we've watched for the podcast so far. Uh, I highly advise if you have time to watch that uh, video I linked. We can watch yeah. it together at some point if you want uh, off the podcast. Um, it's called... It's a YouTube video. It's very popular. A lot of like, listeners have probably seen it already called Wrestling Isn't Wrestling. And basically, it's a, it's a guy telling... It's emphasising once again the storytelling because that is what wrestling's about. And it's basically him covering one wrestler's story across their entire career and how it's yeah. you know, developed and stuff like that and how it there's all these like hints back to where he first came from and stuff like that, you know what I mean? Like it's an actual continuous story that makes sense, you know what yeah. I mean? And at the end of it, he like emphasises like, because that's what humans want. They want emotions, they want drama, they want, you know, they want to feel something. You know what I mean? Like, it's not just about... Yeah, they the, want uh, to feel something. We want to be taken on, like, a journey. And we also want to see people we can relate to. Yeah. Also, going back to why that, like, even though it doesn't necessarily real, like, for him, but still was great LGBT representation in a medium that could use more of it. Um, Like, like one of... Uh, speaking of, like, wanting to feel something, it's why, like, the Ric Flair retirement matches held in such high, like regard is there's this amazing moment in that match where basically the story of the match is it's rick flair versus Shawn michaels and it's rick yeah. flair's retirement match and it's basically it's this idea of like his heart can still go but his body's mm-hmm. so old and beaten up that he can't like his body's letting him down and Shawn michaels is the young faster more athletic guy you know what i mean and it's just an old dude trying to compete with like a new star and he just can't like, his heart and brain want to, but his body just can't do it anymore. And there's this amazing moment in the match where he sort of stands... Like, Shawn Michaels is setting up for his finisher, which is like a kick to the face mm-hmm. called a super kick. And Ric Flair sort of stands up, and he's, he's stood there with his fists up, like, ready to fight, but he's, like, stumbling. You know, he can barely stand. And he's just got tears streaming down his face. Aww. And Shawn Michaels just looks at him and says... I'm sorry, Rick. I love you. And then kicks him and wins the match. Oh! And and after the match, he just, like, as soon as the pin's finished, he stops pinning him and just hugs him on the mat. And it's... And they're both crying their eyes out. Well, that sounds so good. It's... I love the, I'm sorry, Rick. I love you. Like, mid-match. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, I hope you know I love you. But I have to win. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. I love it. I love that so much. And like you say, it's humans want those emotions. Like, it's not just about the athleticism. It's not just about the, whether the match is like a five-star match or whatever. You know what I mean? It's about making you feel something. You know what I mean? Telling a story. Getting people emotional. And and it doesn't just have to be like... Like, that's the idea with heels and faces. You know what I mean? Like... One one thing that WWE does a lot is it makes heels win all the time to, you know, get heat on them and stuff like that. But yeah. then it never pays it off. And, like, the whole point of having these bad guys is so that when they get beaten, it's like, yes, finally. You know what I mean? Like, you want to see them 
get their comeuppance. You know, you want seeing them finally toppled and beaten. You know, mm-hmm. getting their just desserts. That's the whole point behind it. You know what I mean? It's all about telling stories and making people feel stuff. Yeah. Agreed. Hopefully we get to see more of that yeah. uh, from wrestling as it progresses. Um, yeah, so... Well, NXT is really, really good at that. And a lot of people believe that... NXT is run by Triple H, right? Yeah. And a lot of people believe that when Vince goes, it'll be Triple H that takes over. So if NXT is anything to judge by, you know, like... The main WWE might get a hell of a lot better when he That's exciting. Because that's sort of NXT's whole thing, is that they focus on that storytelling. You know what I mean? So although the matches may not be as, like... They're, they're much better than WWE matches, but they're still, like, they don't quite match. They're just a tiny step below the sort of athleticism and, you know, actual match quality of, say, New Japan or, like, PWG or something like that. Yeah. But they master storytelling. They tell stories like, you know, no one else. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And they actually do long-term stories. They tell stories like Johnny Gargano's has been told over, like, three years now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like... Which the main roster just doesn't All do about all the anymore. long game. Yeah. So I think that's everything. It's a really, really good documentary, and I recommend anyone go check yes. it out. Its name, once again, is Omega Man, a pro wrestling love story. Or a it's wrestling so good. Story, I think. Yeah, it's 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 absolutely brilliant documentary. Um, focuses less on the wrestling and just more on, like, you know, the story. Like, and telling a story and making people feel stuff. Which is good. That's where it should be. But um, there's still some pretty badass wrestling moments in it. Yes. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's something we talked about before, this idea of, because it's New Japan, they can actually slow it, show it all in slow motion and it still looks brutal. Because yeah! New Japan. <laughs> like, I love New Japan. Um, but yeah, so next up, we will be actually watching... Kenny Omega versus Okada. And normally I don't tell you anything about matches beforehand. Because <laughs> I want it to be, like, your impression without it being tainted by anything. But you sort of already have heard, like, you know, how it's considered with wrestling fans. Like, those two are considered the two best wrestlers on the planet. Yeah. And their series of matches is considered, by Dave Meltzer and by numerous other people, like, not everyone, there are other people who disagree, but by a yeah. lot of people, they consider their series of matches... The best, like, feud, the best series of matches there has ever been Frig, yeah. between wrestlers. Like, ever. So, I'm like, not, like I say, normally I don't, you know, give you any stuff, but it's already happened because we watched a documentary. Film, <laughs> so, yeah, you know, whatever. But yeah, so that will be what we do next. Um, so yeah, make sure you keep an eye out for the next episode coming out. Um if you want to keep up with the podcast, you can follow it at MAM Wrestling on Twitter or makingamark.wixsite.com. You can follow me personally on Twitter at Hanzo Kurosawa and you can follow Laura personally on Twitter at LauraK483. And if you have any feedback at all regarding the podcast, any suggestions for matches we should watch or anything, feel free to send them in. We will answer any questions, we'll respond to match suggestions. We're always happy to, you know, talk to our listeners. So yep, yep. get in touch and keep an eye out for the next episode. And thank you for listening. 
See you guys next time.